2: in Atlanta. This is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The Franco-German Cultural Center in Atlanta is one of just nine such centers worldwide and the only one in the United States. The Alliance Francaise of Atlanta and Goethe Center joined together to go beyond their language classes and offer programming that encompasses a broader range of culture in the 21st century. Later in the program, we'll hear from the directors of the Franco-German Cultural Center, along with Onyx Henry, manager of the Black Life in Germany project. First... Last year, one of the largest talent agencies in Los Angeles announced it was opening an office here in Atlanta. The United Talent Agency represents elite professionals in the entertainment industry, from Will Ferrell to Wes Anderson. Two members of UTA are running the Atlanta office Steve Cohen and Arthur Lewis. Lewis is partner and creative director of UTA Fine Arts and UTA Artist Space, and there are plans to open a gallery next year. Arthur Lewis joins me now via Zoom. Welcome to City Lights.
0: Thank you, Lois. I'm so excited to be here today. Thanks for inviting me.
2: We are excited to have you. And please tell us why Atlanta? Why did UTA choose to open this new office here?
0: Atlanta is one of those cities that breeds culture, it sets the tone for so much that happens in our country. And so many of our clients and production partners are actually in Atlanta. And this was a really simple thing. Let's be where our clients are and find another outlet so that they can be where we are, um, so that we can be closer to them, work with them more intimately, and really uh, pull ourselves into the Atlanta community, which I'm personally very excited about.
2: This is not your first time living in Atlanta. I read that you attended Morehouse College.
0: I did, and Steve attended Emory. So we are both, you know, former Atlanteans that have refallen in love with this beautiful and glorious city and reconnecting with old friends and old memories and making new memories for UTA in this incredible city,
2: Arthur, you have had a wide-ranging and influential career in arts and arts management, and you're not very old. Oh, I think I'm old, (laughs) Lewis. I think you are not very old, and I think that is easy to prove. How did you arrive at this important position with UTA and with so many major executive roles under your belt?
0: I consider myself to be a very fortunate individual, and I am someone who uh, loves the opportunity of chance. I've Always been interested in the arts since a little kid and always knew that this was something that was going to be a passion of mine. What I didn't know is that it would turn into a lifelong passion. And I encountered the founder of UTA at an art dinner and we started chatting about this particular opportunity and that there was an art program that existed at UTA and would it be something that I would want to come in and explore? And, you know, after a long career in retail where I did some incredibly amazing things and worked for extraordinary people, this seemed like a really nice chapter, and I could not have made a better decision. It is absolutely incredible to be working with artists and so much talent, so many creative people uh, in a creative industry that literally helps create the next thing that we'll all be excited about. It's, It's probably a dream job unlike like nothing I could have ever imagined.
2: You said in an interview with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that you want to connect dots in Atlanta. How do you see your role as a connector in this pretty vibrant art scene?
0: I I love that. Background matters. I love that you know I, that I was in Atlanta at one stage actually matters and that there are so many people in this community who are you know amazing art collectors, amazing artists. And I want to be in a place where I can introduce talent from UTA to some of these amazing artists and create new opportunities uh, that we could have great talent on the ground acting in an amazing show and connect them with a sports figure and then connect them with an artist. And you never know what's going to come from those wonderful relationships. So that's what I meant around connecting the dots and connecting people. And it's something UTA is quite famous for is building these amazing experiences around our clients. Uh, And I hope to do the same while we're in Atlanta.
2: Arthur, you are coming here from living in LA for many years, certainly one of the most vital arts communities on the globe. What do you admire about the arts community in Atlanta?
0: I love that it is so very entrepreneurial. I love that I visit artists' studios and they have built their own hubs. They've built their own atmospheres. They've built their own networks. And I wanna help uh, make that bigger. I wanna help amplify what's already been done I want to make sure that the entire world gets to see the extraordinary talent that exists in the city. It's it's something that I am really very excited about when the space opens next year so that we can help tell more amazing stories and connect dots between this amazing culture in Atlanta and what's happening with the rest of the world. I, I love that everyone in Atlanta is like, we are culture leaders. It's very true. And I think part of the arts world in that regard is something that I think could be, you know, more extraordinary than it already is. So just from our few openings at Pullman Yards that we've done since we've been opening there, having the community come out and be so supportive. And I've met so many wonderful people who are doing just incredible things in the city. It is is all the inspiration an individual can find.
2: So let's talk about this exciting upcoming gallery. What is the vision for this new space, your vision for it?
0: I want it to be a place where people come together. And that is what we've built in L.A. and Beverly Hills. And it's really very cool. It's uh, an equalizer, and art does just that. So I love that at our few um, openings that we've had so far in Atlanta, the entire community has shown up and people from every walks of life, from doctors to sports figures to actors to artists. Um, to young students who are at, you know, Morehouse and Spelman, who just want to see what's actually happening. We hope to keep that going when we open the space in Midtown. I want people to feel that they're seeing another slice of Atlanta, that they're seeing the art scene in a way that's presented a little differently and done with a little, you know, Hollywood flair. And Mm -hmm. more of what I mean about that is just that this is not just an opening to just come, and be seen, this is one to come and fellowship and experience the art and experience people and experience the rich, vibrant culture of Atlanta.
2: And am I correct? I, th- I recall seeing a lot of glass. Will the gallery face the street?
0: Ah, great observation, Louis. Uh, we have a two level space that will open in Midtown. So the top level is more of an entertainment space. And then what you will do is walk down a staircase that will float in the center of the room and walk down into the gallery. So there is some natural light, but the natural light that faces Peachtree is really just our entertainment space. So there is a beautiful bar and an amazing lounge so that people can come and just fellowship and just be with each other. It's what we're quite famous for in making sure that people have a very different experience. And I think that the space in Atlanta um, is going to amplify that.
2: Now, will you be the new gallery's curator as well?
0: I have an amazing team uh, based in Atlanta, led by Bridget Baldo and Tony Parker, uh, who's a young man, former basketball player, and uh, grew up here in Atlanta, are going to be our two people on the ground in Atlanta day to day. But we all take the curator responsibilities um, equally. We all do it together. So. This is truly a team effort about finding talent, figuring out what stories we want to tell about this community, which artists we think might do that best, and uh, plan a program out so that every single month, um, once the gallery opens, there will be a new story for people to see inside.
2: Arthur, do you have a wish list of visual artists whose work you'd like to see displayed in the new space? I do,
0: but I must also say I, it's also been a fun journey of discovery, Lois. I, I love that there's so many artists that we've encountered in Atlanta that we're going to get to showcase um, in this beautiful city and their city. So I, I think it's more about discovery instead of some major hit list. And I, I also love that there are <laughs> artists who are reaching out and saying, hey, if you're ever open to me coming to Atlanta, that's great. But I think for the uh, beginning of this year and for the beginning of our journey. We really want to focus on this community. We really want to showcase the talent that exists within Atlanta.
2: In addition to the Future Gallery, what other projects does the Atlanta UTA office have planned?
0: Oh, wow. I love that you asked this question. So this is a full-service office. So everything that's offered in our Beverly Hills location will be offered in Atlanta. So entertainment, sports, our partner, Rich Paul, Uh, has a clutch division here focused on the NFL and some basketball, uh, which I know everyone's big Hawks fans and Trey Young is an amazing client of ours. So we wanna be full service. We are a full service office in this city. So we are here to be on the ground and be in the community, create new adventures for people, uh, make some dreams come true and just connect the dots for clients who wanna try and do different things. And you know, like you look at one filming schedule, in Atlanta of all that is going on, it is rather extraordinary. So to be on the ground and be in a place where so much of culture comes together, I think for us, having a full service agency was not only the right thing to do, it made sense on every single level that we would be here. So uh, we will be uh, UTA as we are. UTA will offer everything to our clients and I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about that.
2: Your world in the talent industry it has itself been portrayed in pop culture. I loved entourage. <laughs> I, loved, I loved hacks. Arthur, <laughs> how, how real are those? How real? Oh, are my they- gosh.
0: That's really funny. I mean, look, I think uh, the, the joy of entertainment is that it's based on some reality. What I would say about UTA, which is what's made this transition for me um, so beautiful, is that I work with some of the most talented people um, that I've ever worked with in my career. And most importantly, Lois, we are collaborative. And I think it's something that's not always seen. It's very unspoken, but I think if you speak with any of our clients, that's what they walk away with, how personal we are, how collaborative we are, and that any introduction to any other format or industry could be made. So um, nothing against those amazing shows, they're extraordinary, <laughs> uh, but I would say that we are a highly collaborative environment where our number one goal is to make sure that our clients succeed uh, in whatever they choose. I love that you brought up Entourage, unbelievable, one of my favorite shows. <laughs> Me
2: too. oh my God, and Jeremy Pivens, uh, so yeah, I was wondering, is watching something like that meta for you, but apparently... Your work is a bit more refined and toned down.
0: Well, I think what it is, is that I offer a very different perspective in this particular world. I mean, I I think the arts um, interact with so many parts of entertainment. And I think for us, the mission here was very simple. It was just to be and present amazing opportunities for artists to just flourish. Some of those artists are also actors, some of those artists are singers, uh, and that's okay, like it's it's great art can come from any medium. So I, I think for me, how I fit into this agency is so natural, Lois, that it's it's probably been one of the most pleasant surprises I've ever had, where we're fully integrated in the agency. It's not, I'm not just Arthur the art guy, I'm Arthur a partner at UTA, um, who's helping people with their career. So it's, it's far more robust than what a title presents at the end of the day.
2: Arthur Lewis, Creative Director of UTA Fine Arts and UTA Artist Space. More information is on our website, wabe.org slash City Lights. In a moment, we'll hear about the new collaboration between the Alliance Francaise of Atlanta, and the Goethe German Cultural Center. Amplifying Atlanta, this is WABE. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. French and German cultures have long added much to the rich tapestry of collective American heritage. Here in Atlanta, two organizations dedicated to teaching French and German language and culture have joined to create the new Franco-German Cultural Center of Atlanta, the Alliance Française of Atlanta, and Goethe Zentrum, the Goethe German Cultural Center, are committing to a new level of partnership between the institutions. Joining me now via Zoom to talk about the new center Are Oliver Gorff, Executive Director of the German Cultural Center, Richard Keatley, Executive Director of Alliance Francaise of Atlanta, and Onyx Henry, the project manager of the Black Life in Germany project, which is ongoing through December? Welcome to City Lights.
3: Thank you so much Lois. Guten Tag and thank you for having us.
2: Oliver and Richard, can you briefly tell us what your individual organizations do?
3: So Goethe Zentrum Atlanta is part of a global network of Goethe centers and institutes in more than 90 countries. And we've been in Atlanta for about 46 years now in different shapes and forms. Our main task is really to teach the German language, but really also to provide assistance and to provide uh, the ability to to talk about arts and culture and uh, realize
4: projects in our local area.
2: Mm. Richard?
4: Yes, the Alliance Francaise is also part of an international organization, the International Federation of Alliance Francaise. It was founded in Paris in 1883 by the likes of Louis Pasteur and Jules Verne and, and others. And our Atlanta chapter was founded in 1912. So we've been here for 110 years. Our mission is similar to that of the Goethe, but for French, we were a language school and a cultural institute. We offer French classes of all levels and administer the DELF, the, the official proficiency exams that are used for people that want to work or to study in in France or for citizenship purposes. Uh, We organize and promote French and francophone culture, participating in the month of francophonie, which is in March. We uh, just had a very successful French market on our plaza here at Peachtree Center, and uh, we do other types of cultural events that we'll talk about with the Goethe, of course, and we sometimes organize immersion trips. We're going to Martinique this, this March
2: yeah exciting for a long time before video cassettes and vcr's dvd's and now of course streaming your institute i think the goethe institute in particular was the go-to destination for outstanding german film european films were not easy to come by in Atlanta. What does the Franco-German cultural programming entail?
3: We are very proud of collaborations that we have done together as Franco-German institutions. Since you're speaking about a series of, of movies that were available to the Atlanta community, even before the internet, thanks to our cultural institutions in part, we have joined last year with 11 consulates, European consulates, to create the first European film festival of Atlanta, for example. That's one of of a lot of initiatives that we are proud of. Richard, maybe you want to say something about that as well.
4: Yes, that was a very exciting moment because it was the first major in-person event we did. It was at the Historic Plaza Theater, that everyone knows, on, on Ponce. All of the films were full. We didn't have an empty seat in the house for the entire thing. We opened with a Ukrainian film in show of solidarity and then followed up with 11 European films And that was part of our joint Franco-German cultural programming. So we've received some support from uh, the French Institute and the German governments for the Franco-German cultural programming, and then we received support from our members and from, from other organizations throughout the city. And this was part of this year's programming on European diversity. We of course had our grand opening as well, which was part of our cultural programming which was a great success with the ASO providing a quartet for us. Soprano Atlanta native Maria Valdez sang the national anthems for us and the Bonaventure Jazz Quartet played. And Chef Mathieu jourdan Gassant of the Saint-Germain Bakery provided a wonderful, wonderful spread for us. There were more than 400 people that, that attended our opening.
2: So there's clearly an effort toward a European representation in your cultural offerings with the film festival as an example. I'm still not sure I understand how your individual organizations exist within the context of the Franco-German Cultural Center.
3: So... The two organizations, they came together about 10 or 15 years ago, first just to to actually co-locate. And more and more, we realize that the problems and the topics of the world, the topics between Europe, modern Europe, and the United States are becoming more and more not national, but really international and intertwined. So we decided more and more to integrate parts of our programs to make clear that we are looking for perspectives that are not national only, but that are really global or European and allow for many different opinions under one tent. Um, if you look at our series that we did in 2021 about climate crisis, we heard from artists, from activists, from People from France, from Germany, or the United States about the state of the planet and what should be done, what could be done, and how could we actually make it sensitive to us as human beings that we are really in danger of losing our planet.
2: Mm. So, you've spoken about common. Issues, serious concerns such as climate change, as well as social issues. Sadly, one of the things we share, the United States and Europe now, is racial discrimination, and it's been rising in European countries. Onyx, would you tell us about? your project on Black life in Germany.
5: Yeah. Hi. It is a real honor to be talking to you. So Black life in Germany is a project that I started kind of dreaming about earlier this year, and the way that things have kind of panned out for me in my doctoral work has made it such that I don't actually... I get to take a a semester to do a museum studies um, internship for a semester, so I'm going to work with the Goethe Institute and create programming with Oliver that highlights more so contemporary Black life in Germany. Um, We're definitely going to, I hope, continue this programming into next year. We're hoping to do some things in February as well, But for right now, what I want to do is kind of highlight the lives of everyday Black Germans. It's very common for people to ask me, you know, are there any Black people in Germany? And my answer is, of course, there are. There are lots of Black people, Um, not, you know, an abundance necessarily, but, you know, there's a lot of Black people and Black Germans in particular are a group of people who are often not talked about. So I really wanted to bring that out, and luckily Oliver, you know, has wanted to work with me on that, and so I'm excited to be here and to do that.
2: Indeed, in reading for our conversation, I was impressed with Prime Minister Angela Merkel's comments about how unfortunate it is that Black people in Germany have to acknowledge their Germanness that it is simply presumed that they've come from elsewhere or they aren't as German as other Germans born in the nation. How is Germany addressing these issues?
5: Mm. Oof. <laughs> so Germany itself, as far as I have been able to tell through my research and my time spent there, isn't taking necessarily an initiative, I wouldn't say, to address these issues. But there are organizations within Germany, such as ADEFRA, which stands for Afro-Deutsche Frauen, or ISD, which is Initiative Schwarze Deutsche or IOTO, Each One Teach One. There are organizations like these that focus, um, some of them focus more so on policy, some of them focus more on cultural issues or, you know, issues specifically within smaller communities, um, neighborhoods. Um, But I would say that those organizations, those kind of grassroots efforts are really what's kind of leading the fore in making political change and making policy change because it's, it is, as Ms. Merkel said, a shame that they have to, you know, kind of assert their Germanness, despite the fact that they are, you know, born and raised there. And so that is part of the goal of what I want to do here is to bring more awareness to this group of people that has existed for
2: quite a long time. And it's not just about Black soldiers, military.
5: No, not at all. I think that's the part of Black German history that a lot of people here at least in the states would know um, because you know you might have had a loved one or you know known somebody who went over there and maybe fathered a child but it's the children that, that kind of get left out of the story after that you know we tend to focus on our side and our soldiers but there's a history of you know black children whose fathers left or who were from the the German government adopted out of Germany and who some of whom are here in the United States or who were raised here in the United States after the war. So it's not just about Black soldiers who were over there. There's a, a longer history. What
2: first interested you in studying the Afro-German experience?
5: Well, my journey to studying the Afro-German experience, um, more specifically, I look at representations of Blackness in German post-war German children's literature. My interest is more specifically on looking at representations of Black Germans, but that's kind of difficult to do because it's not always very clear whether or not the characters that I'm reading about are German, but sometimes it is. But yeah, my journey was kind of serendipitous uh, as lots of things in my life have been, divinely serendipitous, if you will. It started during my Fulbright English teaching assistantship in 2000, I think that was 14 to 15. I ran across a book called Jim Knopf, and that kind of sat with me for a while. It's a, it's a book that has a Black protagonist from 1960 to 61, but that sat with me. And then I ended up at Furman University, and under the leadership of Ilke, Dr. Ilka Rasch, I got the idea to apply for graduate school and... Jim Knopf came back to mind, and that led to my, my desire to like work with kids and teach. And what, what is that book about? It's a fantasy book. It's actually by Michael Ende, who is the same author who did Momo and The Never-Ending Story. And those are, I think, books that are more popular here. I didn't recognize his name right away, but when I realized that, I was like, wow, this is kind of crazy. But the book is about this small, fantastical island called Lumanand. And Lumaland only has, I think, three or four inhabitants. But all of a sudden, one day, the island gets this package that has a Black baby in it, like a real Black baby in it. And nobody knows where it came from. They think it was misdelivered. It was. But they decide to keep the baby, the white adult inhabitants do. And they raise him. And uh, one day, they decide that the island was going to be too small once Jim was a full adult. And so that led to the adventure that is the rest of the book to find basically more living space, which is also a complicated topic in Germany. <laughs>
2: <laughs> if you are just tuning in, this is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitz, speaking with Richard Keatley, the executive director of the Alliance Francaise of Atlanta. Oliver Gorf, executive director of the Goethe German Cultural Center, and Onyx Henry, manager of the Black Life in Germany Project. Richard, you mentioned the francophonie, the month-long celebration of French language and culture. It's been going on for many years. And France... Has a more diverse population, and this is evident in culture as well. How does the alliance acknowledge the diversity of French life?
4: Yes, that's a very, very good question, and one of the central tenets of our of our programming is to not represent france per se but french speaking cultures so we we make a very concerted effort to try and represent the whole world and notice that french is the only language that i know of that uses this one word la francophonie to refer to all of the inhabitants of the world that happen to speak french programming from africa from asia from north america and of course from from europe that's uh, centered Generally, the one thing pulling it together is the French, French language. For the Franco German Cultural Fund, we've applied this year. We're, we're going to try to bring together uh, urban music performers between Atlanta, Berlin, and Marseille. So, once again, the Franco German cultural programming is not taking anything away from Alliance Francaise and uh, Goethe Centrum. It's more like adding on. This higher level of cooperation and enriching what we what we already do and doing things together as much as we can so nothing you know we still have our our two independent boards we have two directors but we we work together every day we see each other every day in the office and our offices are integrated and uh and we share resources and now a common cultural agenda which adds to what we were already doing so like you said When France and Germany came together with the signing of the the Treaty of the Élysée in 1963, this was Charles Charles de Gaulle and Adenauer, who signed the treaty in 1963, that led to the formation and solidification of of the European Union. So speaking of France and Germany cooperating, I think necessarily gives us a, a more European Focus which allows us to include no other other countries from, from the European Union that are working together in solidarity to try and solve some of the world's most challenging political and ecological problems at, at, at this time.
2: We talked about Angela Merkel earlier. Certainly in 2020, Germany was the most welcoming nation toward immigrants and one could possibly say the beacon of democratic countries in the Western world. Still, the shadow of the Third Reich lingers in the minds of many. How does an organization such as the Goethe Zentrum counter the negative parts of German history.
3: Yes. I typically always say, if you want to understand anything that happens in Germany or is being done by Germans, you have to understand that there's always one or two words in the back of our mind, and that is never again. Every decision, every action up to now is really informed by this thought, never again. If we always live up to this, or if we fail, is a different question, but it's always there. And therefore, everything, the type of programming that we do is always informed by this thinking as well. So we are looking for an inclusive program. We are looking for a program that engages the civic society we are looking for a program that allows debate. And for example, we're gonna open an exhibition that is titled Democracy Will Win with an exclamation mark based on the actions and writings of Thomas Mann, Nobel laureate, who in the beginning of his life and career was a monarchist in the early 20th century and then became an anti-Nazi fighter and broadcast his anti-Nazi propaganda, if you will, from Los Angeles. We also worked on a street mural, for example, honoring uh, Sophie Scholl, who was a Nazi resistance fighter again, who gave her life to fight Hitler at the age of 21, together with her brother and others in the group of White Rose. But again, it is not so much about the past, all of this, but we always ask, what does it tell us in the present?
2: Germany, post-World War II, confronted its horrific past, not only politically and socially, but also in arts and culture, in literature, in film, in painting, in music, and particularly in the wake of recent years in the United States, we haven't seen the same thing in this country, the controversy about taking down monuments. And I wondered if you have some programming that addresses how the United States could mirror Germany is confronting its past, particularly in regard to Native American genocide, slavery, and Jim Crow.
3: Yes, of course, that's a very difficult and heavy topic, and that's where the good network, the North American and network, especially would come in. We have on a on a broader uh, dimension a. Program going on. It it's called um, shaping and reshaping the past, and it asks has been asking for several years now is particularly this question: How would a monument look like, or what kind of monument would actually be a better one? Again, in in that city or that region uh, of the United States than the ones that are available and they asked and we asked artists what would you build here what would you want to express here and especially artists from groups of course that were not let's say uh, on the winner side so to speak another that's actually a good question for onyx because um and part of our black life in germany programming will be a discussion and a presentation by a originally Tanzanian gentleman who does tours in Berlin on exactly that topic.
5: So I don't know if I can really answer the question of what the U.S. could do in terms of learning from Germany in how to memorialize or how to think through and work through their troubled past or our troubled past, I guess. But it definitely should be done. It needs to be done. But I wanted to complicate something actually that you'd said, Lois, about Germany working through its past. It's some. It's something that is very important for me to do. Anytime I hear somebody talk about Germany and and the reconciliation, the you know the apologies that that needed to be given in order for Germany to enter the world stage again and become you know a, a nation that could work with others, is that I think that that is definitely true in terms of having worked through anti-Semitism and and maybe a few other forms of racism, but anti-Blackness in particular definitely still exists. And it's funny that you mentioned 2020 because, you know, there, there were definitely a lot of Black Lives Matter protests in the States, and there were as well in Germany a few because they unfortunately, you know, have a very similar problem to what we do in terms of police brutality issues. Anyway, so that was just to complicate what you were saying, but um, the talk that we're going to have in November is going to be on Thursday, November the 17th at noon, and it's going to be a virtual talk by a man named Mr. Moporo. He is a Tanzanian activist who has lived in Germany for a very long time, and he is going to talk to us about Efforts in recent years to rename certain street signs in Berlin that have names that are of colonial, basically terrorists, white Germans who were responsible for the the deaths of lots and lots of Africans. Um, Lots of people are not aware that Germany also held colonies in the late 19th century, but that is a fact and they did not hold them for nearly as long as some other countries like France or Britain, but they had them and that matters. So these kinds of the remnants of this colonial history is, is around and it's something that people um, of color, Black people, Black Germans don't want to be confronted with every day. And so it's not that there was The idea that the street signs change and that everybody agreed, of course, it wasn't um, a kumbaya moment. Um, There was lots of debate and there's ongoing debate. And so he's going to be online to talk with us about that.
2: Important. Atlanta's Franco-German Cultural Center is one of only nine such centers worldwide and the only one in the U.S. How significant is that for us in Atlanta,
4: yeah, I I think it's very significant. And uh, Doug Shipman g- gave a speech. He's the the head of the Atlanta City Council, and he took the words out of my mouth because I literally had this same thing written down in my speech. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it, but this is the home of America's civil rights movement. This is the home of Dr. Martin Luther King, of Congressman John John Lewis, and we have been talking about a lot of these issues for for a long time. So to have a cultural institute whose basis is in the Treaty of the Élysées, which is literally the officialized attempt to make good on, you know, repair that 100 years of wars between France and Germany that led to everything we, we know about. I think that's very important that that, that that happened in our city and natural that that happened in our city. So we should be very, very proud. And I hope everyone will come see us here at the Peachtree Center. And Oliver, I think you should say something too. Yeah, and some,
3: in some ways our center is really, on, and the relationship between Germany and France, France and Germany, Is sort of an example, maybe how you can overcome how to overcome hate hatred and make uh, friends out of enemies, I think, in the end, our Franco German cultural Center here in Atlanta and really beyond probably the borders of Atlanta is a place where you come together because of your differences for your differences and not despite your differences. It's an invitation to come together.
2: Oliver Gorf, Executive Director of the Goethe German Cultural Center, and Richard Keatley, Executive Director of the Alliance Francaise of Atlanta. They were joined by Onyx Henry, Manager of the Black Life in Germany Project, more information is on our website, wabe.org citylights Coming up, our series highlighting local musicians speaking of music. Today features the band The B. Arthurs. Amplifying Atlanta, this is 90.1. W-A-B-E. This is City Lights on W-A-B-E. I'm Loris Reitzes. Thank you for joining me. It's time now for our segment, Speaking of Music, where we get to hear from Atlanta musicians in their own words.
6: My name is Patrick Reynolds. I'm the guitar player and vocalist for the Bee Arthurs. And I'm Charlie Yud, I'm the bass player
7: and a singer in the Bee Arthurs.
1: And I'm John Giordano. And I'm the drummer. And I sing background vocals for the Bee Arthurs.
8: And she fell to her knees. Now I said, baby, were you grieving? And she looked about me. And with tears in her eyes, she said, Well, I think it's okay that you're going away. Cause I know I'll see you in my dreams at night.
6: and And The D. Arthurs are a good old fashioned rock band and possibly the greatest band of all time.
8: But you never gonna find a girl like me again.
6: say probably what motivates us um, are, you know, Golden Girls episodes, Mod, uh, Captain and the Game Master, um, if we're talking movies, probably the greatest movie of all time, Willow, is probably the motivation behind like 90% of our music.
8: the <laughs> greatest
7: I moved here 16 years ago because it was sunnier than Michigan where we lived previously. And I would say that Atlanta has influenced my music primarily in what I'm writing because having the opportunity to play in front of a lot of people at things like festivals, Porch Fest, uh, opers, the breweries, things like that, I decided to start writing music that was more upbeat and made people want to move around. Uh, so previously I would just write songs that just whatever hit my Fancy I'd write that, but now that we're playing in front of people, they want to move about, so it's really changed what kind of music I, I write.
1: I got started in music by playing the guitar, taking lessons, um, I not know that. sitting there yeah, sitting in front of sheet music going to see a guitar teacher, uh, both sides of my family are musical, but it was uh, my cool stoner uncle who turned me on to uh, drums. at a big double bass, white pearl kit, maybe 10 drums. Neil, Neil Peart was our, our big influence, but I was listening to Nazareth and Judas Priest and Aerosmith and on his eight-track player <laughs> in his groovy room. That's how I got playing the drums, and I bought my first kit from my other cousin on the other side of my family, a blue Sparkle Slingerland. That was my first kit, and that's how I started started playing. I was
6: nine years old when I got my first kit.
8: But you're never gonna find a girl like me, you can.
6: So the two songs that we sent over are Six Times in College Days. College Days is a pretty new one for the B. Arthurs, and that one actually came out of going to a friend's wedding um, recently and talking to a bunch of people who were telling me stories they remembered of me in college that I had no memory of. So, on the flip side, I can remember tons of random stuff from when I was a kid, so it's kind of just a song about wishing I could remember a lot of the fun stuff from my college years. I don't
7: We oh, yeah, have the Candler Park Fall Fest uh, coming up on November 11th. That's a rescheduled festival. We also have a benefit show for Cottage Groove over in. Is that Kirkwood?
1: Uh, in Kirkwood. Yeah, okay. in Kirkwood
6: coming up, and that uh, that's a benefit show. Just keep an eye on our uh, Facebook or Instagram pages um, or our Bandcamp page, and we'll keep that updated and let you know where to come see us if you want to.
2: John Giordano, Charlie Yood, and Patrick Reynolds from the B. Arthurs. More information about the band, as well as our series Speaking of Music, is on our website, wabe.org. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of arts and culture. Tomorrow at 11 a.m., comedian, actor, and writer Joel Kim Booster stops by ahead of his upcoming performance at Variety Playhouse. City Light's senior producer is Kim Troves. Our producers are Summer Evans and Janine Etter, and our engineer is Shelley Canavy. I'm your host, Lois Reitzes, and we want you to connect with City Lights on social media. We're at W-A-B-E City Lights on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-N.